Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. And welcome once again to Canadians in Old Time Radio. I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of COTRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance. You might want to check out our website when you have a minute or two, www.cotra.ca. Well, we have an evening of drama for you tonight. First, from our Made in Canada segment, we have... Don Gray, Marine Investigator, from July 27th, ju- sorry, July 26th, Gateway to the Orient. Rough, tough Vancouver, whose waterfront presents an ever-changing panorama of mystery and violence. A constant challenge to such specialists in crimes of the sea as Don Gray, Marine Investigator. business, marine investigation. And that means shaking hands with crime and disaster. For whenever there's low play on the waterfront, whenever there's a situation that doesn't have the honest smell of fish or lumber or grain, then it's Don Gray, the interested party's hire, to kick it around for them. Good afternoon, sir. And Mr. Garen? Uh-huh, that's right. I have an appointment with Mr. Gray. Yes, sir. He's expecting you. This way, please. Mr. Garen is here, sir. Oh. Please go in. Down. Down, sir. Well, thank you. This is quite a mess we have in our hands, Mr. Gray. The crew simply refused point blank to take her out. I didn't figure you'd want them to. Aren't you laying charges? As owner's agent, I advised the captain strongly against it. 
Our job is to get the ship on her way. You've been at sea yourself, Mr. Gray. You'll appreciate the point. Appreciate it, all right. It's a poor policy, Mr. Garon, to require a captain to overlook mutiny. Captain Cardale agrees with it in this case. The papers haven't got the full story. You see, the circumstances are unusual. Uh-huh. It wasn't outright mutiny. The men were too terrified to go on with the voyage. Terrified? Terrified. Of a ghost. Mr. Garron, superstition dies hard at sea, sure, but when a ghost... Uh-uh. The trouble is, it's not only the ratings. The mates, the engineers, the captain himself are half convinced. Oh? That's why they made little resistance to the men's demands. Are they quitting, too? No, no, they'll carry on. If they can get a crew and a replacement for the second engineer... Second? He quit? He was buried at sea three days ago. He died violently in the bunkers. And according to them, by the hand of the Stanford's ghost... I went down with Mr. Garron to see the captain of the Stanford. The ship lay at Evans Coleman Wharf, and she was as ancient a tramp as I'd ever come across. She looked abandoned, with a starboard list leaning against the wharf like an elderly trollop. I had already learned she was carrying a load of coal to the pan. Captain Cardell sat us down in his room and produced the inevitable drinks. He was a young man for command, no more than 30, and not very sure of himself. I said, Your ship's an old-timer, Captain. Still coal burning? It's still burning coal, yes. Mm-hmm. She's 42 years old. You've seen many a port in that time. Yeah. Well, if you'll tell me about this ghost, Captain... Seems very real to the crew. It sounds crazy, Mr. Gray, but oddly enough, there's something in it. Now, when I was advised you were coming, I mustered some witnesses. Uh huh. They're coming now. Uh-huh. Come in, come in. Yes, sir. This is Mr. Gray with Mr. Garrett. <clears throat> Mr. Gray is inquiring into the death of the second engineer. Sit down, wherever you can find room. Yes. Well, Mr. Gray. The first to hear the tappings was the cadet, Tom Wallace. It was the day after we left Comox, Vancouver Island. That's where you loaded your cargo. Yes. The tapping came from the main bunker hatch. The trimmers were still working the lower side bunkers. There could be nobody under the hatch unless you were trapped. But Tom called the third officer. Uh, Go on, Mr. Dent. Well, when I got to the hatch, I I couldn't hear anything. We were in heavy weather at that time, and the tarpaulin was secured over it. I thought it must have been something loose that Wallace had heard. But I tapped on the act of me knuckles. Sure enough, an answering tap came back. Oh, that's funny, I said. How can anyone be trapped down there? So I tried again. The same thing happened. And what time of day was it? Uh, about 11 o'clock in the morning, sir. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? Well, sir, the only thing I could think of was a, a stowaway. So with the cadet, I, I knocked out the wedges and lifted the match cord. But there was nobody there. It was dark inside with the coal and all piled under the beams. But if anybody would be happy to get out, he'd, he'd have been there, wouldn't he? I imagine. Unless he was nuts or a very frightened stowaway. We thought of that, Mr. Gray. We've never been able to find any evidence of a stowaway. Okay. Here's what happened next. Well, I, I closed the hatch again and we didn't hear any more. So I, I thought nothing more of it. But that night, it, it began again. I could hear it from the bridge. Uh, the mate heard it, too, from his bunk. Uh-huh. Oh, I saw him come out on deck, so I went down. When the tapping stopped, I, I knocked again on the hatch. The 
tapping came back. Uh, maybe the mate would like to tell you what happened then. Okay, go ahead, Chief. Well, I, I called a standby man and we opened the hatch. There was nothing there. I gave the standby him a torch and told him to go in and look. He refused. He was scared. So I went in myself, but I couldn't see anything. And that's all. Up until then, Mr. Gray, it was only puzzling. When they reported it to me in the morning, I shrugged it off. A rolling ship makes all sorts of sounds. But it continued intermittently through the second day and night. Mm. On the third day, the trimmers were working in the tween deck. Uneasily, but working. A trimming coal down to the lower bunker pockets. It was Wallace the cadet who witnessed the next incident. Go ahead, Wallace. It was at twelve noon, sir. I was just getting ready to eat when I heard a sort of strangled howl outside my port. The starboard bunker pocket hatch is there, sir. I looked through and there was Frame, the twelve to four trimmer, tumbling out of the hatch. His eyes were staring out of his head and he was choking. He was gasping, There's Summit down there, Summit down there. Oh, God. I rushed out and then some of the others arrived. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, Captain? We searched the bunkers. We couldn't find a thing. It's very dark down there, of course, and we have no electric light. We used torches and hurricane lamps in groups. We even shifted some of the coal to get into the corners, without results. There was nothing but coal and the open trimming hatches leading to the lower bunker pockets, and they were empty. But the trimmers now flatter refused to go down. So the second engineer went down to set an example sort of thing. The next thing we heard was a fearful scream. We rushed below. We found Mr. Bray at the bottom of the lower bunkers. He was dead. Honey, you know, he didn't just trip. But there were marks showing where he'd been dragged over the loose coal. And one of his shoes was still in the tween deck, ten feet away from the trimming hatch. Mm -hmm. We found his torch, too, in the tween deck, and it hadn't been just dropped. It was smashed, as if he had thrown it with some force at something. Incidentally, he was the chief engineer's nephew. Mm -hmm. Tell me, uh, you, Frame, we haven't heard from you yet. What scared you down there? I don't rightly know. I don't know, sir, but sudden light, my lamp goes out. Then something rushes again. When I look up, all I see is terrible eyes. I didn't wait for anything else. Looks like animals on They look like devil's eyes. Hmm, I was figuring the possibility of a cougar maybe having gotten aboard at Comos. <laughs> Cougars don't play knuckles on hatchboard. I can assure you, Mr. Gray, the ship's been thoroughly searched. But nothing could get the hands down the bunkers again. We had to burn cargo from number two hole to get back here. Pity you weren't able to keep the body, Captain. It might have given us an answer. By the time we left the ship, I had something to think about. And it wasn't ghosts. Garen was sweating and said... Well, do you suppose there's anything we can do? Yeah. Yeah, get another crew. We've already asked for one. There isn't a local crew will sign. The word's got around. Yeah. I'd say it's a good way to cripple competition... Fly a crew from the East Coast, then. And ask a skipper if I can sleep on his settee. A long time since I made a trip to Japan. Let go of the tugs, up. Pull ahead, sir. Pull ahead, sir.
It was next day we pulled out with an East Coast crew. Some of the original crew had come back, led by the cook. The cook, the donkeyman, a couple of ABs. We dropped the pilot at William Head and cleared the Strait of Juan de Fuca by morning. And so far, nothing had happened. And then, at ten o'clock, it began. Come in. It started again, sir. The tapping. Main bunker hatch again. No. Well, Mr. Gray? Let's go down. I don't hear anything. Just a moment. I'll tap on the hatch. to come with me and stand by the bunker tween deck door. Oh, it is that tapping again, sir. Oh, no, sir. I hope you realize what disobedience means, Bailey. Oh, 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 you should never have come back, sir. Oh, I thought maybe Vancouver had broken the jinx. I thought maybe a tourist or a way you'd have gotten out by now. I can't go down there, sir. All right, beat it. I'll go along myself, sir. All right. Give a hand with the hatch, Bailey. Take the other end of the hatchboard. Okay, Captain. Hand me the flashlight. I'm going in. Beyond the thin light that came down from the hatch, it was as dark as the inside of a chimney. Coal was stacked up to within a couple of feet of the hatch covers and a pinnacle sloping down to deck level. And I noticed the faint glow from down below. It was a trimming hatch. In the lower bunker, 20 feet below, an almost naked trimmer was throwing coal into the stokehold. It was working in the light of a hurricane lamp. I considered whether he could have been doing the tapping. But there was no lever the hatch. It was designed strictly for trimming. I moved away and flashed my light around. Forward of the main hatch was a steel bulkhead. About the hatch, the deck ran aft on each side of the thin engine room casing. I moved my light overhead. Nothing but beams in the underside of pocket hatches all secured. And a couple of ventilators plugged on inside. I tapped the plug. There were wooden discs, a couple of feet in diameter. They were solid and fast. I moved out. Both wings ended in solid steel bulkheads. There was only the door into the fiddling, huh? I opened it. Vernon, the mate, was standing outside on the fiddly gratings. He had a crowbar in his hands. He looked a bit tortured, as if he was braced to both fight and run. We went up through the fiddly, past the galley, and out on deck. It's good to breathe the fresh air again. Over to the hatch. I said, Might be an idea to leave the hatch open, Captain, and see what happens. In this weather, she'll be taking seas any time. The weather report isn't good. Okay. Close it down. Bailey? Yes, sir. Money. Before you draw the tarpaulin, let's try our own tapping again. 
Okay, flatten it down. Hold it now. Let's try again. I should never have taken this ship out again. I tell you to... Do. Get on with the job. Finish the wedges. Well, what do you make of it, Mr. Gray? Oh, I can see what you mean, Captain. You're going to have another mutiny on your hands if this goes on. Even if nobody else is killed... We pulled a boner in taking any of the original crew back, Captain. Frankly, I thought it was all over. When do you have inspection, Captain? Sunday morning? Yes. I'd like you to make one this morning, Captain, at 11 o'clock. Quarters, storeroom, galley, and so on. Besides, I haven't met everybody yet. He sent for the chief engineer. His name was Bray, the same as the second who died. And we started with the officers' quarters. Bray, the chief engineer, was a good-looking 40, dark complexion, but a supercilious, vain kind of a cookie. My guess was women had spoiled him. He was the kind of heel they fall for, anyhow. Seemed to suffer the round of inspection like it was a concession to a skipper's idiosyncrasy. We didn't inspect his own room. That was the skipper's concession to him. We looked in the galley. The cook and his mate were working on a pot of Irish stew and a load of sweat rag duff. I knew it was Thursday. On a limey tramp, you can tell the day of the week by the menu. I remarked to the cook, Swell of you to come back. I don't believe much in spooks, really, sir. Spirits? Yes, in a bottle. <laughs> it was a kind of a joke, but I figured at that he wasn't enjoying it. It was the kind of joke you hear when the ship's sinking and the lifeboats are smashed. We went on through the rest of the accommodation, the crew's quarters, the cramped and gloomy places. There were the usual pin-up girl. Over a bunk here and there, a picture of a wife. Or girlfriend, maybe both. The chief engineer never came into the quarters. He held back at the door. You could almost see him holding his nose. But I got what I wanted, a general plan of the ship. I took the next plan from the bridge looking aft, a bird's eye view. Abaft the bunker hatch was the galley with warship's weather plates before the doors. Then the fiddly, the engine room casing, the boat deck, the mainmast, the poop where the men were quartered. The ship was rolling, now in a heavy sea, taking spray aboard. The canvas covers were on the ventilators. It was eight bells, noon. I went down to dinner. It was then the next thing happened. Captain, quick! There's a trimmer just sprung out of the pocket bunker hatch. He's fainting. Which side? Starboard side, sir. What's the matter, man? There's something down there. Something down there, Captain. What? What do you mean? What's down there? I don't know what it is, but it's breathing. I think it is. Did you see anything? Just a kind of shadow and eyes. Rushed again, but... Maybe you should get the chief engineer along, Captain. Didn't see him in at dinner. Anyhow, I guess it's his department. Yes, I wonder where one of you... Oh, he's coming. What's the trouble now? Chief was in his boiler suit, a blue boiler suit, kind of dirty. He was wiping himself off with a sweat rag. First, he seemed more amused than sinister. I asked him, no dinner today, Chief? Oh, yes, when I'm ready, Mr. Gray. The engine room comes first. Having trouble? Yes, keeping the stokehold supplied with coal. 
Now, what's the matter with you, Tolfin? We told him, and he turned back on the man. Ah, nothing but mass hysteria. Get down below and trim that coal before we have to stop the ship. Now, sir, I refuse to go down in bunkers. That's flat. Nearly all hands had gathered by this time. And their eyes and their mouths and their grim nods said there was going to be a first-class mutiny to get the ship back into port. The chief turned to the captain and shrugged. Well, captain, if you can't do anything with them, I'll have to get my engineers into the bunkers, that's all. Then you'd better do that. Until we get this thing resolved one way or another. I'll make another search of the bunkers with you first, Chief. Ready? When I've had my dinner, Mr. Gray, such as it is. We didn't find anything. The new second engineer was working down there, trimming coal from the tween deck now into the lower bunker. He had the third with him when we were working the pairs. Down below in the stokehold, the firemen had doubled up to trim it from there to their fires. The fourth was tending the engine. I knew they couldn't stand this for long. I decided to take a turn myself to watch change. But at 3.30, I was just dozing off. I left for the door. I bumped the skipper on the way off. In the name of heaven. Hello? In the low bunker. I am the chief engineer. What in heaven's name was he doing down there? Believing the others. But see. The crowd was staring silently. It was Bray, the chief engineer, all right. I looked at the trimming hatch, 20 feet above us and back again. It was not only battered by his fall, his throat had been cut from ear to ear. Well, skipper, I guess that's it. I hope you're well off the coast. Off the coast? Yes, well, we're off the coast. Because when the fires die out, you'll be drifting. You'll get nobody near those bunkers now, even to take her back in. I'd better radio for assistance. Coast Guard, perhaps. Navy. If necessary. But I want to take a look at Bray's room and go through his things. There's maybe a clue in the fact that the two victims were related. Let's go down. Take a look in the bunk drawer, Skipper. I'll go through his desk. Yes, there was the usual stuff, log abstracts, requisitions, engine room catalogs, circulars, yellow with age. And then I opened a box. It contained snapshots. I rippled through them. They were all women. I said, take a look at this, Skipper. Okay. I figured him for a ladies' man, but it looks as if he could have taught Solomon a thing or two. Look at this one. Yeah, it's quite a figure. I wouldn't sneeze at her myself. And this. Uh-huh, who's this? Take a look. Yeah. Well? Does it look familiar? Well, no. Why should it look familiar? There's a name on the back. Terry Brown. With love, Terry Brown. Anybody with that name aboard? Nobody. No Browns aboard. But there is an enlarged picture of the snap aboard. Think back to our inspection. Can you remember seeing it somewhere? No. No, I must confess I can't. I can't either remember where... Captain, we're going to make another inspection. We find that picture. There's got to be a tie-in. What's that? Nobody there. No, but somebody has been. Somebody's been listening at the door. I didn't find the picture I was looking for. I knew it had been up in somebody's room, and it was no ghost that had taken it down. But there was nothing more I could do yet. The engine was still running, but the fires must have been getting low. The skipper himself was about petrified by now, especially when the tapping began again. It was eight o'clock, dark. The third mate had called us to the hatch and was sobbing with hysteria. Answer it, skipper. All right. 
Keep it up, Skipper. Don't open the hatch. I'm going down through the fiddly. I kicked off my shoes, padded along and down the fiddly ladder. The tween deck door was open, but something creaked as I slid through. I flung the beam of my light towards the main hatchway. I had a spawn, something vanished as the light hit it. Then there was a movement of coal sliding down the heat. I moved the light under the whole area of the hatches. There was nothing there. I brought it down to the deck. The beam fell on a circular wooden cover. Ventilator plug. I sent the light upward again. There was plenty of room for a man inside the vent. I moved over and looked inside. Yeah, I could stand on the cross piece and draw the plug in after him. But the canvas cover was still in the mouth of the vent. He'd have to cut his way up. I was trying to figure it when some more coal slithered. I doused the light and duck. Yeah, it's a pretty lively ghost. All I could do now was ease back towards the door and hope I didn't slide down a trimming hatch in the dark. Near the door, I stood, tried to wrap my ear. But all I could hear was the tentative knocking of the skipper on the hatch. He wasn't getting any answer. Now, and then, whatever it was, it was on. <laughs> I collapsed. Was touched deliberately. It lost balance. It scrambled away as I was recovering my own. And now I can see it. Nobody. There's some kind of a face with eyes glowing in the dark. I appear panting. My gun was in my hand. I didn't wait. I aimed between the eyes. The face disappeared with a body hurtling toward me. I put my light on it. It was human, all right. It wore a dark overall face was covered in a black mask. The other mask, a grotesque thing with luminous eyes, and the bullet hole between them was clutched in his hand. I pulled off the other mask. It was the cook. How's he coming, Mr. Gray? Uh, up to putty. Should we give him another shot? Wait a minute. Coming around a bit. He wasn't dead yet. We were trying to doctor him in the rat hole the ship called a hospital. I'd already been through his room and found the picture stashed away. He opened his eyes. Okay, Cook. Maybe it'll be easier for you to talk. I don't mind now. All right. Who is the gal? My niece. I bring her up. Terry Brown. He was my sister's girl. She were orphaned in 1940. I give her everything I had. So? What happened? Bray. The chief engineer. Come along. I didn't know him then. He ruined her. Ruined her? How? How? <laughs> She took sick. Otherwise, she drowned herself. But she left his legs. So I watched me chance to slip with him. It. 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 It was too bad he's never come down first by himself. But why shouldn't I get his never to her? Did the chief engineer know who you were? Uh, 
Not until I killed him. Then I told him in the bunkers. And then you had to find a picture. So oh, I, I had to be missed. <coughs> I wouldn't vote him any more, Skipper. Even if it's do anything left for him here. He must have been mad. You figure? Don't you think you could ever get that fond of a niece, Skipper? Well, let's go. There's nothing more we can do. Don Gray, Marine Investigator, is a CDC Vancouver production written by Thomas Gilchrist with Doug Haskins in the title role. In tonight's supporting cast were Lee Taylor as Captain Cardale, Walter Marsh as Guerin, Alan Routon as First Officer Vernon, Stan Jones as Chief Engineer Bray, Eric Vale as the Cook, Juan Root as Third Officer Dent, Strollin Robertson as Stoker Telfin, Bud Slater as Cadet Wallace, Frank Vivian as the Trimmer Frame, and Roy Brinson as Abel Seaman Bailey. Marine Investigator is directed by Raymond Whitehouse with sound sequence by Ted Levesque and Frank Vivian. Control operator, Don Horn. Tonight's broadcast of Don Gray, Marine Investigator, concludes the present series by Thomas Gilchrist. We would like to hear from our radio audience concerning your appreciation of Don Gray with an ear to future broadcasts. For the present, we make way for the British Empire Games in this Monday time period. If you wish the return of Don Gray, Marine Investigator, please address your request to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, Vancouver, B.C., and head them up, Attention, Don Gray, Marine Investigator. This is Ray Nichol, trusting that we shall hear from you. And in the meantime, so long for Don Gray, Marine Investigator. Our Canadians Abroad segment features Canadian Raymond Burr. He was born in New Westminster, British Columbia, and he is appearing in Dr. Kildare. The title of the episode is Eddie Jenkins and the Arsonist, and the date is October 20th, 1950. The story of Dr. Kildare. Whatsoever house I enter, there will I go for the benefit of the sick. Or whatsoever things I see or hear concerning the life of men, I will keep silence thereon, counting such things to be held as sacred trust. I will exercise my art solely for the cure. The story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer brought you those famous motion pictures. Now this exciting, heartwarming series is heard on radio. In just a moment, the story of Dr. Kildare.
Now, the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Blair General Hospital, one of the great citadels of American medicine. A clump of gray-white buildings planted deep in the heart of New York, the nerve center of medical progress where great minds and skilled hands wage man's everlasting battle against death and disease. Blair General Hospital, where life begins, where life ends, where life goes on. Uh, Mr. Craig? Yes. Now, my name is Kildare. I'm a staff doctor here. Eddie Jenkins is one of my patients. I see. Well, do you think he can answer a few questions, doctor? Yes, only take it easy. There's still danger of shock. He's had some bad burns on his legs and body. Lucky he's alive. There were 5,000 gallons of gasoline in that warehouse where the fire started. It was more of an explosion than a blaze. Burned out three piers. 85, 6, and 7. I know. I understand a man died in the fire. Yes, the watchman at Maxson and Porter's next door to the gasoline warehouse, Pier 86. Maxson was insured with my company, so we we're out for half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, now, uh, where does Eddie fit into this? I don't know, Dr. Kildare, but he was there, and I want to know why. I'm working pretty closely with the police on this. They want to know why, too. I see. All right, come on. If he starts getting excited, I may have to ask you to leave. I understand. Here we are. Eddie? Eddie, this is Mr. Craig. He wants to ask you a few questions. Hello, Eddie. Hello. How do you feel? Okay, I guess. Good. Eddie, I have to ask you some questions, and I don't want to tire you out any more than necessary, so let's get right to the point. Well, I'll tell you anything I can, Mr. Craig. Fine. Then suppose you tell me how that fire got started. Gosh, I don't know. I was asleep under the pier next door. There's a kind of space between the floor and the bank of the river. Anyway, I woke up, and there was fire all around. And I started yelling and trying to get out. And that's about all I know. I see. Why weren't you in school? Well, I was playing hooky. Your teachers tell me you have a bad habit of doing that. Well, I get headaches when I go to school. And if I stay out, they go away. It's true. I'm not lying. It's true. Easy now, Eddie. No one said you were lying. I believe you. But he don't, Dr. Kildare, and it's true. Honest, Eddie. Well, let's leave that for the moment. You were hiding out under the pier. You went to sleep, and that's all you know. You didn't see anything or hear anything, right? Well, I heard something earlier. Two or three guys were talking up in the warehouse. But I don't know exactly when. Recognize any of them? No, but one of them I'd know if I heard him again. He talked with a kind of, well, kind of funny-like voice. Did you hear anything they were saying? I think one of them said, what about the watchman? Somebody else said, he's still out and he'll stay out. I didn't pay much attention. I see. Do you smoke? No, sir. Then why do you carry matches? Well, I don't know. All the guys do. Did you start that fire? No, I told you what happened... And it's the truth. Honest it is. Honest it is. It's all right now, Eddie. It's all right. Now, take it easy. Mr. Craig, would you come out here a second? Yes. I thought he gave you a rather straight story. Yes. He has a good imagination. Oh? Well, I'm inclined to believe him. I am not. I see. Now, Mr. Craig, the patient's in no condition to talk any more today. (laughs) 
Jimmy. Sounds very much to me as though you've stuck your neck out again and through sheer stubbornness. Oh, it might have started that way, all right, Dr. Gillespie, but I talked to Eddie Jenkins a half hour or more after Craig left. I'm certain he's telling the truth. Well, it's quite a story, all right, if it is the truth. Sure. It means that fire was started deliberately. <laughs> Arson. That's what Craig ought to be investigating. Well, maybe so. But in view of the facts and the Jenkins boys' record for truancy and so on, I'm afraid he's in a jam. And I doubt if there's much you can do for him. I know. As soon as Craig talks to the police, they'll have the same idea. Ought to be something we could do. Wait a minute, you can't go in there now. Let go my coat, Miss Parker. Hey, 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 what's going on? Stay out. Wayman, you're an ambulance driver. What are you doing up here? Oh, no, now you'll catch it. Oh, dry up. What? No, no, no. Not you, Doc. No, no, no. I mean, uh, sir. <laughs> Wayman, what's the idea of the monkey wrench? Well, Doc, I'm looking for a character named Craig. Maybe after I tap him one, real gentle-like, he won't be so anxious to shoot off his big mouth. Big mouth? Sure. Huh, look who's oh, talking. Oh, Parker, shut up and get out of here. Well, I don't see why you have to pick on me. Out. Oh! Wayman, what's the trouble? Uh, what's this all about? Well, Doc, I've just been talking to my pal, Eddie Jenkins. The kid's up there crying. Says this here Craig guy talked tricky to him and called him a liar. Oh, it wasn't really Craig's fault, Wayman. Huh? He has a job to do. Well, he ain't got no right to talk like he done. Well, Jimmy, looks as though you've acquired a supporter. So it does, only, uh... Wayman, I don't think the situation calls for using a monkey wrench. At least not right at present. It don't? Oh, I wanted to tap that guy once. Well, if that should seem to be the only solution, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> oh, gee, thanks, Doc. And meanwhile, Wayman, get down to the basement where you belong. Okay, Doc. No, no, that is, I mean, uh, yes, sir. There goes a perennial juvenile delinquent, if ever there was one. <laughs> Tap somebody with a monkey wrench. Well, I know how he feels. Well, you better forget it, Jimmy. If the boy is telling the truth, it's just too bad. But I don't see anything to do about it. Uh, one thing I think I can do, prove he wasn't lying about those headaches. Well, what of it? It's got nothing to do with the fire. No, but it'll show that one unbelievable part of his story is true, and that may influence Craig a little. There are other ways of using a monkey wrench, you know. You can throw it in the machinery. Well, sure, it's the same story, Dr. Kildare. It's true, so why would I change it? Oh, no, Eddie, I didn't expect you to change it, but I... I thought by telling me again, you might remember something more. No, I guess I've already told everything I know. I was kind of sleepy, and I didn't notice very much. Well, then we'll just have to try working it out with what we've got. What'll they do to me, Dr. Kildare? I can help at nothing, as far as the fire is concerned. Of course, the truancy is something that was wrong, Eddie. Yeah, I know. But it was them headaches all the time that... I found one, Dr. Kildare. Here you are. Oh, fine, Parker. Hang it there on the far wall by the light, will you? All right. What's that she's got? Oh, it's called a smelling chart. Oh, I see now. It's one of them things with letters on it to test your eyes. That's right. Oh, Parker, will you point out the letters? Start about the third line. Yes. Now, Eddie, I'll put this card over your right eye, and we'll try the left eye first. Well, I don't know. First letter. B. Next. 
D. Go right ahead, whatever Miss Parker points out. P. M. G. Ah, next line. Uh, o. E. No, no F. Uh, maybe it's R. All right, Parker. Hold it. Eddie, uh, haven't you ever been given an eye examination in school? Yes. Well, they had a chart down in the gym, but I'd always memorize it ahead of time. Oh, I see. I suppose you didn't want to wear glasses, is that it? They're a nuisance. Mm. And those headaches weren't a nuisance? Well, I'd only get them whenever I'd read. Oh, you played hooky. That led to some serious trouble. Well, at least you know I was telling the truth about the headaches. Yes, but I knew that anyway. The question is now whether Craig can be convinced. All right, gentlemen, I believe your clinic's report and your own opinions. The boy is suffering from hyperopia and astigmatism. So, where does that put us? Well, for one thing, Mr. Craig, it means he did have headaches in school. And it means he was telling the truth about his reason for playing hooky. All right, I'll buy that, too. But I'm not the truant officer, gentlemen. I'm investigating a fire that caused a man's death and a half million dollars loss. And that's something else again. Well, the rest of Eddie's story could be true, you know. A lot of things could be, Dr. Kildare. But I work on probabilities. Now, if the boy hadn't been present, the number one probability would be accidental cause. So far, we found nothing to back that up. And furthermore, Eddie was present. So the first probability is that he said it accidentally. Second, he may have said it deliberately. Pyromania. Ah, ridiculous. He doesn't show one symptom of it. Now, if I accept the Jenkins boy's story, I'm forced into a line of investigation I don't believe at the moment. Arson. Criminal intent by persons unknown. Probably the collection of insurance. It's been done before. In this case, it doesn't make sense. The gasoline warehouse wasn't insured for enough to pay for the pier in the building. But the Maxon Importing Company next door was. Only that isn't where the fire started. It's where Eddie heard those voices. Dr. Kildare, you're a stubborn man. All right. Suppose I say I'll give some thought to that angle. That's a start, at least. I don't know whether you've thought of this. If the boy's on the level, he's the only witness, and the arsonist, if there is one, has already committed one murder. Yeah, you're right. I should have thought of that. The boy's room ought to be guarded, just in case. It will be. Ambulance garage, Joe Wayman to it. Oh, Wayman. Uh, Get someone to relieve you and meet me up in 421, Eddie Jenkins' room, yes. right away. Got your boss. What's up? Now, I'll explain when you get there. Okay. Oh, yes, yes. Bring that monkey wrench. <laughs> Dr. Gillespie, thanks for backing me up with Craig this afternoon. Well, you'd already stuck your neck out, and I'm responsible for you. So what else could I do? Okay, no sentiment then, but thanks anyway. Well, confound it. It, it, it still doesn't mean that I'm sold on that theory of yours about the fire. Well, my only theory is that Eddie Jenkins is telling the truth. The fire is Craig's business. I'm a doctor, not a detective. I'll get it. Still there. Doc, this is Wayman. You've got to get up here fast. The kid's had a relapse. What do you mean? He's having convulsions. And for no reason. Hurry, boys. Right, Wayman. What is it you mean? It's Eddie. Now I know he was telling the truth. Huh? Someone just tried to kill him. Return to the story of Dr. Kildare in just a moment. 
continue with the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Here's some more hot tea, Dr. Kildare. Oh, thanks, Parker. Set it there by the bed. But shall I see if he'll drink any more? Yes, all the better. Jimmy, we can discontinue the chloroform now. Muscular spasms seem to be over. Good. All right, now. Come on, Eddie. Let's try just a little more now. What is it? Hot tea, Eddie. Good for you. Come on, have a try at it. All right. I think we caught it in time, Dr. Gillespie. Yeah, but none too soon. Wayman. Yes, sir? Where did this box of chocolates come from? Well, Jeepers, Doc, I don't know. <laughs> Some messenger delivered it at the desk down in the lobby, and they sent it up. I didn't know he wasn't supposed to have candy. Nobody said nothing. I didn't know it was going to affect him like this. That's all right, Wayman. Well, Nobody but... else would have suspected it either. Yeah. Yeah, no name on the box, of course. No card or anything. How many chocolates did he eat? Well, uh, three, I guess. If that's how many's gone, so help me. I didn't touch a one myself. Which is lucky for you. Oh, that wouldn't have hurt me none. I ain't sick. You would have been if you'd eaten any of these. Want to take them down for analysis, Jimmy? Yeah, I imagine Craig will want to see them, too. Hmm. You phoned him, didn't you, Parker? Yes, yes, yes. He said he'd be right over, Dr. Kildare. Well, I guess we've done about all we can up here for the moment. Mm-hmm. Stay here with him, will you, Parker, until I can get a relief nurse? All right, Dr. Kildare. You stay, too, Wayman, and keep your eyes open. Yeah, you got your boss. Only if it's none of my business, what's this all about? I never heard of no candy making no patient that sick. No, probably not. Hmm. Because it's very seldom that you find candy loaded with strychnine. <laughs> No card, not a single identifying mark of any kind on the box. It's a common brand, can be bought in any store in New York City. Tend to wonder, no fingerprints. Gentlemen, there isn't much to work on. Well, what about the messenger, Mr. Craig, the boy who delivered the candy to the hospital? Oh, there's a chance there, of course, but a slim one. He wasn't in uniform, wasn't a regular messenger, in other words. So... You know, Mr. Craig, being a diagnostician has certain points of similarity to being a detective. You may be right, Dr. Gillespie. I take a set of symptoms, clues, you'd call them, and I try to find some logical explanation for the cause behind them. Yes, that's pretty much the way I work, too. Oh, well, there's another similarity, Mr. Craig. Medicine, we also use your theory of probabilities, you know. Start with the most probable cause and eliminate possibilities one by one. All right, gentlemen, all right. There's no need to pin me against the wall. I see what you're driving at. Good. I'm ready to accept the Jenkins boys' story. All of it. After what's happened now, I'd be a fool not to. I agree with you. In fact, I guess I owe him an apology. All right, then. I think we can safely assume that whoever tried to poison the boy also started the fire. Yes, the probabilities seem fairly strong on that assumption. We don't have any leads on the poisoning, and I doubt if we will have. But we do have an angle on the fire. Now that Eddie's story is admitted as evidence... You mean that uh, funny voice he thinks he can identify? That's right, Dr. Kildare. I should be able to supply that voice for identification by tomorrow afternoon. Gosh, I'm kind of scared, Dr. Kildare. If that guy done all you said he did, I don't want to try and identify his voice. Ah, there's nothing to be scared of, Eddie, and the sooner he's put where he belongs, the sooner you'll be safe. 
Yeah, but meeting him face to face. Maybe he'll do it again. Try to kill me. Don't I mean. worry, he won't. In fact, I doubt that you'll really meet him face to face. But you said Mr. Craig was bringing him here. Not him. His voice. Yeah, but how can you do that? You can't just bring him. Come in. Huh? You mean here we are? Oh, come in, Dr. Gillespie, Mr. Craig. Yeah, let me get this thing through the door. Here we are. What's that thing? A portable tape recorder, Eddie. I told you he was probably bringing a voice instead of a man. Yes, and I'm not even sure it's the right voice. Uh, I guess I can plug this in here. Take a second to warm up. Of all the confounded fiddle-faddle, I'll be glad when this thing is straightened out so I can go back to the simple business of practicing medicine. I'm with you there, Dr. Gillespie. Now, Eddie... There are several voices recorded on this tape. One of them may be the man you heard in the warehouse just before the fire. Or maybe not. But listen carefully and tell me what you think. You understand? Yes, sir. Okay, let's go. The evidence has been reasonable enough, in my opinion. I, I think it's time now that your company began negotiations for settlement with my client. Well, that really isn't my function, Mr. Everett. I'm an investigator, not a claim adjuster. My primary function is to determine what caused the fire. I know his voice. Oh, I don't right. know of any further way quiet. we can help you in that, Mr. Craig. My client was unfortunate enough to occupy the building next to somebody who was careless. And so on. Well, I understand that, but still... I, I think I see Mr. Craig's position everywhere. That's him. If I were faced with paying out half a million dollars, I would check all the blind alleys, too. It's the same one. Now, let's You're sure that is. Yes. I'm in no hurry to start a big uproar about... Well, that's that. Whose voice was it? The man who's insured with us, Maxson of the Maxson Importing Company. Mm. So what's the next move? Call in the police and then go pick him up. As simple as that. Kildare speaking. This is Craig. Oh, how are you, Mr. Craig? Any luck yet? No, the police have had Maxson's usual haunt staked out since 4 o'clock this afternoon. No sign of him. I think that conference this afternoon or something else maybe has made him suspicious. Well, I wish I could help you, but I'm afraid it's your job from here on out. Oh, we'll get him all right sooner or later. But uh, why I called, I'm a little worried about the Jenkins boy. Wayman's still on guard in his room. I think it's time now for a professional guard. I'm going to have the police send a man over. All right. If you think that's the best. Go on, talk to him. But don't tip him off. What did you say, Dr. Kildare? Uh, nothing? Not a thing. Well, that'll be fine. Hurry up, get rid of him. Well, I'll, uh, I'll see you around, Craig. I hope you know how grateful I am for... Uh, yeah, sure, goodbye. I, I suppose you're Maxon. That's right. Now, what's the idea of the gun? Right now, it's to make sure you do as you're told. So somebody's guarding the boy's room, huh? All right, call him up and get rid of him. Why? I'm holding the why here in my hand. Call him up. All right. Don't try anything, or it will be too bad. Joe Wayman, Kirkin. Wayman, uh, this is Kildare. Yeah, what's up, Doc? Wayman... Dr. Parker is going to relieve you for the next hour so uh, you can get something to eat. Parker? Do you mean no Dr. Parker here? Yes, that's right. He'll be up there to 521 in a few minutes, so you may as well leave now. He'll be? Yes. And this ain't 
21. It's four twenty-one. What's wrong with you, Doc? Yes, I agree with you, Wayman. I think you have the solution to that problem right, right in your hand. Never mind the talk. Hang up. Huh? The only thing I got in my hand is a monkey wrench. Yes. Oh, oh hey, hey, wait a second. Solution? Now, that's right, Wayman. Well, goodbye. All right, let's go. Where? Up to the boys' room. 521, I heard you say. Oh, look here, Max. You look. Walk ahead of me. Five twenty-one is just around the corner there, third door along the side corridor. Keep walking. Now, you say it's the third. Well, Jimmy, what are you doing up here in the? Well, good evening, Doctor Metchnikoff. Metchnikoff? Uh, you'll have to excuse me, Doctor. I, I have a serious emergency here in five twenty-one. Jimmy, what the tarnation! All right, whoever you are, get in there with him. What? He's got a gun, Doctor Gillespie. You better come on. It's Maxim. Get inside, both of you. Well, apparently there isn't much choice. It's dark in here. I'll get a light on. It's over by the bed. Well, hurry it up and don't try anything. I'll wait here. By the... <laughs> I got him, boy. Nice going, Wayman. Hey, let me turn the light on. There. Get his gun. I got it. Uh, would somebody mind explaining what this means? Well, for one thing, I think Wayman ought to be given an honorary medical title. What are you talking about? I've been treating a patient for four days without improving his chances very much. Wayman takes one swing with a monkey wrench and my patient is out of danger. Hmm. It's amazing. In just a moment, we will return to the story of Dr. Kildare. as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Here are those glasses for the Jenkins boys, Dr. Kildare. They just sent them up. Oh, fine, Parker. It's going to be a job getting him to wear them, though. Oh, it's only for reading, Jimmy. And after what he got himself into, maybe he'll listen to reason. Yeah, I suppose. He's ready to check out, by the way. Better send him home in an ambulance, I guess. <laughs> he'll get a kick out of it even if he doesn't need it. Ambulance garage, Dr. Wayman talking. Oh, it's Dr. Wayman now. You don't say. Dr. Wayman, this is Dr. Metchnikoff, head of the medical board. Gosh, how do you do, Dr. 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 Wayman, we were wondering if you could deliver a lecture for the board meeting Tuesday night. Well... Uh, I'm uh, pretty busy, sir. A lot of operations, stuff like that, you understand? Oh, that's too bad. We hoped you'd talk on cardiac tamponade. Your specialty, I believe. Cardiac tamponade? Uh, 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 yeah, 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 of course. I, uh, <laughs> I suppose you read my book about that. 
your book. By the Great Horn Spoon. By the Great Horn? Hey, that, that's what... It, that's what... Is this Dr. Gillespie? Yes, confound you. Oh, brother. Oh, brother. <laughs> Jimmy, I think Dr. Wayman just resigned from the Medical Association. You have just heard the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. This program was written by Les Crutchfield and directed by William P. Russo. Original music was composed and conducted by Walter Schumann. Supporting cast included Virginia Gregg, Ed Max, Raymond Burr, Whitfield Connor, and Jerry Farber. Dick Joy speaking. Thanks so much for joining me. See you next week. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.